today's, uh, what I'm going to talk about is not getting lost on the journey, this journey that we call faith. And <laughs> when my husband was saying, hey, what are you going to talk about? I said, oh, you know, not getting lost on the journey of faith. And he's like, isn't there an app for that? If there was, I wouldn't know it. So sorry if there is. Last I checked, there wasn't. But anyway, you know, have you, I, I could just bet, probably every single person in this room has gotten lost, physically lost, somewhere at some point in their lives. Anybody? I noticed there were more women's hands up than men, and we know why. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Now, go for a moment to that feeling that you had when you were lost. Did panic set in? Stress, anxiety? Because you don't know where you're at. Fear of the unknown. And that fear, that frustration is enough to make you wish that you never left home. And maybe, if you're like me, you said, Lord, if you can just get me out of this. If you can just get me to McDonald's, then I can figure it out from there. Or maybe you bartered with the Lord and said, Lord, if you could just get me there, then I will never fill in the blank. I will never take another drink. I will never... You got the idea, right? However, if we look, you know, like if we were to have a map, and we look at the keys of the map that describe where we are going, and we remember where it's guiding us. In other words, you know, okay, at this point there's going to be a railroad track. When you reach the railroad track, then you're going to take a left at that rock and a right at that tree. Then you would kind of have an idea where you are based on where you've been and maybe an idea of how much further you had to go, even if you've never been there before, right? If you just had these clues. Well, I think today we can determine we are, where we are currently standing in relation to where we have been and get an idea of what's ahead for the future. You know, there's a relief to knowing where you are when, the, you know, when you've been lost and that sudden realization clicks in of, oh, I'm here. Whether or not you've gotten off track, then you can recalculate, you can redirect, you can refocus then to get you back in the right direction. Now, the journey is more than just going somewhere. It's more than a destination. That same journey is a spiritual one designed to move us from bondage to freedom, to move us from being slaves to sons and daughters, to move us from acting like infants to adults. Now, the Exodus is a great metaphor for the spiritual journey. It's that freedom from bondage to freedom in Christ. And we take it as individuals, and we take it together as a group of God's people. Now, if you notice, I wrote the theme up there. It says, many places that the Israelites passed through on their physical journey 
correspond to passages in their spiritual journey. And if we can identify those stages, then that will help us recognize where we are on our journey. Now, I want you to remember, though, that this is not simply a linear journey, not a point A from point B. It is a cycle, it is a process, and it is continually being worked in and through us over and over and over again. Now, if you'll turn with me to Exodus 17.1. If someone's got the page number, you can shout it out to me. Anybody got the page number? 51, okay. And it says, from the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. Now, the first thing, before we jump right in, is that we can take our guidance. We can take some of our cues by the leader God gives us. And the reason for that is this, because that leader has been there. He's done that. He's a very example of what to do and what not to do. And it's because of his experience of going before us that he can help lead us through that same area. And Moses was this kind of leader for the Israelite people. His journey out of bondage into freedom takes him through the same wilderness that he will lead the Israelite people through. Now, if you will, turn with me to Numbers 33. It'll be to your right. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 2. And the reason I'm pointing out this to you was Moses was commanded by God to write this down. And if it was written down, it was more than just oral and written down, then it was important to us. It was important that it got to every generation. So Numbers 33, 1 through 2. These are the stages by which the Israelites went out of the land of Egypt under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Moses wrote down their starting points stage by stage by command of the Lord, and these are their stages according to their starting places. Now Numbers is kind of a recap of the Exodus story, so to speak. And it's interesting because there were probably around a million people and yet Moses is going through stage through stage. Everywhere they stopped, Moses was writing that down. And I think it's important to us because in the spiritual journey, it was important that they came to at some point be able to look back and see what the Lord had brought them through so that they had a vantage point of, I can go there because I've been there. And what he could carry them through. So, okay, stage one. If you got your pens ready, you can fill in the blank. Stage one is pre-awareness. Pre-awareness. Now, as I talk about each stage, it's more or less to kind of give you a description, kind of some emotions, kind of their responses to the different situations that were going on. And like I said, I'm, I'm going to try and get us through this. I'm not going to linger on one point too often because most of us, Let's raise our hands. Have all heard the Exodus story, right? Have you watched the Ten Commandments on TV? Like every Easter, right? It comes out, right? And I love, I mean, they just don't make movies like that anymore, right? But 
there are certain accounts where I'm going, I wonder if that really happened. You know, it's a little Hollywooded up, if you will. So anyway, this is to help us figure out where we are on our journey of faith. And keeping in mind that Moses was their leader that had already been there before. And we're looking at the clues that there are stops in different parts. So stage one is pre-awareness. So this is a stage where they don't even know they're in bondage. And you know how you know that? Because if you go back to Genesis, under Joseph, who ended up being very high-ranking, one of the rulers, and his father Jacob and his brothers come into Egypt. Why? Because there was a famine in the land. And through the story, basically, of Genesis 37 to Genesis 50, we hear about how Jacob and Joseph's brothers all end up in the land of Goshen. Now, they don't realize they're in bondage or that there's any trouble on the horizon at this point because if you look at Exodus 1-7, it says Israelites under Joseph were fruitful and they greatly multiplied. This was as good as it gets. This was good times. They were numerous. They had a plot in the land. Goshen was their own area. Nobody was going to bother them. They were making their own money, their own livelihood, basically, and nobody was bothering them. They were protected. And because God was blessing them, he was multiplying them at a great rate. So they're not even aware that there's anything wrong right now. You know, as Christians and as non-Christians, sometimes we get this idea that well, everybody else is living this way. What's wrong with me doing it? If everybody is getting together, living together before marriage, and that's the cultural norm, what's the problem if I do it? And you can name a host of other things that are culturally, socially acceptable that we get into trouble as Christians and non-Christians, really, because we don't know any better. If everybody else is doing it, why not me? So there's this vague sense, though, that happens in this time of pre-awareness. Let's say you're a non-Christian and you meet somebody that just seems to have it together. You know, they've got this light of life in them, and they've got great things going on in their life, and you're like, man, I wish my life was like theirs. It seems easy. Or, you know what? That lady, her car just broke down. She just lost her job. Her kid's crying, but she still has a smile on her face. Why is that? So whether tragedy, whether day-to-day -day mundane things, whether it's high or low, you meet or come across a person that's like, wow, they got their act together. And you get that vague sense that there's something missing in your life, that there's a puzzle in the whole scheme of things that you don't have. It's missing. And it's in this pre-awareness stage. We find comfort with the familiar and uncomfortableness in the unknown. We are comfortable and secure 
whether we are sinning or not, because that's the way we've been doing life. And yet, there's this sense that maybe things should be different. And we don't want to name it, and maybe we're really not close to naming it yet. It's this little part of denial that we put on the back of the shelf. So let's go to stage two. Again, the Israelite people in the pre-awareness stage are not aware that something is going on. Because see, what happens is Joseph dies, and a new king takes his place, and he doesn't know anything about Joseph's story. He doesn't know anything, really, about these Jewish people and why they should be protected. All he knows, all of a sudden, is that they are growing at such a rate that he is now fearful that they will overtake the Egyptians. If the Egyptians go to war, he's thinking, these Jewish people, they're going to side with them, and then we're going to lose everything. We've got to put a stop to this. All right? So that's what's happening right now. And your next stage is awareness. So what happens in awareness is there's a wake-up call. That vague sense that you had in the pre-awareness stage now leads into something. See, it was just growing over here, and all of a sudden here in this stage, it's popped up and reared its ugly head. And for this stage, for the Israelite people, it was oppression. It was slavery. They were put into bondage by this new king. And he was harsh, and he was cruel. He did things like, well, if they're having babies, let's kill every male baby. He actually asked the midwives, the Hebrew midwives that were helping the babies being birthed to kill newborn baby boys, every one of them. And it's by the grace of God and their fear of God that they didn't do that. Wake-up calls make us realize that things aren't as good as it gets anymore. we realize that we are not as free as we thought we were. And sometimes we finally, with that wake-up call, realize that the pain of staying in the same place is not as great as the pain of leaving. You see, because before we were waffling, eh, I think things are pretty good here. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not real sure how it's going to be out there for me. I hate to use this example, but it's a perfect one. Divorce. When you are in a terribly dysfunctional situation where it's threatening to you, there are a lot of women that have this syndrome or, or belief that it will get better. And so they stay, and it doesn't get better. And it's not until some, they get really hurt, either physically or emotionally, that there's a wake-up call, and they're like, I have to leave, because the pain of staying, I could die or be in the hospital. 
But that's the kind of example that a wake-up call is. It's a heart issue. It's a, it's a, you know, I lost my job issue. It is a wake-up call, a defining moment in your life where you wake up and say, I can no longer live in this place. I have to go somewhere else. And it forces you into action. For Moses, the wake-up call was when he killed an Egyptian earlier. You see, Moses was raised Egyptian. He was raised to walk like an Egyptian, talk like an Egyptian, to eventually rule like an Egyptian. But when he was finally told that he was a Hebrew, oh yeah, by the way, Moses, you're Hebrew. You're not really Egyptian. His eyes got opened up, and he started seeing the oppression and the slavery going around on his people. And let me tell you, folks, when you have that wake-up call, when you finally have awareness, Awareness calls you to responsibility. Awareness calls you to respond to what you see going on. But Moses, in this response, ran away when he was found out. He runs away to the same desert that he's about to lead these people to later on. So Moses wasn't quite the leader just yet. But you will see that a lot of times Moses' leadership skills ran parallel to the different stages that the Israelites went through. So he went through those stages first and then was able to lead the Israelite people through them. Denial leads us in bondage. Cognitive dissonance leads us in bondage. We know what we should do, but we don't do it. That's part of not taking action. That's part of not taking responsibility and awareness. Awareness makes you see or points to the possibility, though, of living a new way. It makes you realize that this isn't the only kind of life I have left to live. There is something out there. There's more out there for me. And when Moses and Aaron arrive in Egypt after God sends them, you know, Moses meets God at the burning bush, and God says, you know, I've heard the cries and the impression of my people, and I'm sending you, Moses, and your brother Aaron so that I can deliver these people. He sends Moses and Aaron to these oppressed people to declare and assure them that God knows about them. Even though they are finally aware of their bondage, God is saying, I've got help for you. It's on the way. So your next stage is turning point. So they're the Israelite people here, right? They finally figured out, hey, I'm not free anymore. I have to work for everything. My family is being persecuted. I no longer own anything. I am being owned. But now here's the voice of Moses and Aaron going, there is a different life. I have somewhere. I have a promised land for you to go to. And this is a turning point in their life because now they can actually dream about a different life. You know, when you're pre-awareness and awareness and you're in the midst of it, you can't actually physically or visualize how life could be different. Sometimes it's so hard to see with all the stuff that's going on that it could be any different. Life is just in that little square where they're at. They could finally dream 
like we can today, of life without addiction, life without sin, life without anger, life without fear, life without unhealthy relationships, life without pain. But there was a straw that broke the camel's back. You see, because when Moses starts talking to the people and he starts talking to Pharaoh, Pharaoh makes the task of the Israelites even harder. So things get messy. They don't get better first, they got messy. And their situation deteriorated. Deterioration of our situation might seem like an unnecessary part of the journey, but it's important because it's a turning point and it makes us finally do something about it. You know how birds, uh, some birds, I don't know that all birds do this, they build a nest for their young. They have the eggs in there, they're careful to watch over the eggs and the babies hatch and they're careful to feed them. But when those babies get strong enough, those mama birds start taking the twigs out of the nest. They start making that nest uninhabitable so that at some point there's no nest anymore and that bird has to fly. Has to fly. Because if, don't, if it doesn't, it's just going to fall and die. That is a turning point. Deterioration of our situation actually calls us and moves us to action because we have no other choice. Before this, remember, we're waffling. Now we're like, I gotta go. I have got to go. I'm putting my, car, my clothes in my car and I am going. If you read Exodus 6, 9, here at this stage, though, they are having a hard time listening to Moses and Aaron. And it states in Exodus 6, 9, it was hard to listen because of their broken spirit and because of the cruelty of their slavery. They were so embroiled with their slavery and bondage, much like people that are dealing with addictions are, that they were having a hard time hearing hope, dreaming the dream. And they needed Moses. They needed a leader to help guide them at this stage. To be persistent and say there is a different way. There is life without this. There is something more. So let's go to the next stage, stage four. Again, I'm trying to jog through this, so I know you are smart people. Stage four, you can write the roundabout way. God takes them from Egypt, basically, into the start of the new plan, the new journey. So God has this showdown. He shows up tremendously at this stage. Because, you see, now they know that there's a different way. But they're, they're, they're at a loss. They're at a clue. How is this going to happen? I can't do this myself. I can't get myself out of this addiction. I can't get myself out of this marriage that's going bad. I can't get myself out of you name it. And that's where the Israelite people are going, I can't get myself out of this bondage. What do I do? But God shows up in this stage. He has a showdown with all of the different Egyptian gods, proving his power and his authority over all of them. So much so that they have to let the Israelite people go. It's God's showdown. 
So at this point, they're ready to go. God tells them in the evening, you are going to pick up your stuff and run, basically. You are going to head out to the wilderness, to where I have Moses leading you. These people, they're excited. Remember, they've been in bondage for 430 years. 430 years. And basically, I don't know, in a week's time, they're let loose. Right? So they're stuffing their bags. God even blesses them with the gold and silver that the Egyptians had. And so they're thankful. And they have this real sense now that the journey is afoot. We're off and running. We're going to go. And we have to go because we know what it's like back there. So Exodus 13, 17 through 18. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Because although that was nearer, God thought if the people face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So God let the people the roundabout way of the wilderness. It was God's kindness, actually, not to lead them the most direct route to their dream. And the reason for this is because he knew that they were not able to handle the challenges and obstacles that would come their way shortly. God's in no hurry. Can I say that again? God's in no hurry. He had a plan, and his plan involved working and moving through those Israelite people in a spiritual sense, in an inward sense, not just a physical movement from one place to another. God was visible to them. He used symbols. He, used, he was there. His presence was always with them. A, a cloud of um, during the day and a pillar of fire at night, leading and guiding them all the way. His presence was with them. And what he was teaching them is their dependence should be on him. And he would protect them from the challenges. And he teaches us by experience that he will never leave us. That he is there for us, with us. You know, we get concerned about many things. We get concerned about the outward features of power and movement and, uh, you know, I'm changing job positions or um, I'm getting a better paycheck or a better house or better this or better that. And these are great things because God indeed is blessing us, but there is more that God wants to do in blessing us than just these trappings. Because there is something he's doing in us. It's a work. Remember that process, that cycle? All of these stages are working in through us. But to the enemy or to outsiders, we look foolish because we're wandering around in the desert. We're following God's lead, and it looks like we are foolish. Why would you tithe your money? You know, you've got bills. 
Why would you give your time on a Saturday morning to work the food pantry? You've got a lawn to mow. All of these things are just trappings. And God is doing and shaping and forming and transforming us every step of the way. So let's quickly move on to stage five. This is times of testing. Now obstacles come and they're unexpected and we feel unprepared with them. Now for the Israelite people at this stage, they're often running. They're going around in different parts of the wilderness and God actually brings them to the Sea of Reeds, the Red Sea and has them camp between the sea and facing a certain direction, basically. Now, what God has done is actually backed them up. He's put them between a rock and a hard place, literally. They have nowhere to go. And it's at this stage where the obstacles start coming. And by obstacles, I mean the whole Egyptian army. Pharaoh changes his mind and says, you know what? I think I really like having my hair combed and my bath drawn for me and the pyramids built in my honor. And now I have nobody to do those things. I think we need to go get them. Does that sound familiar in a way? You have just come out of an addiction. You have just come out of, you know, an unhealthy situation and you get into a new situation and you're feeling pretty good about yourself and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm on my way. When that old master, that old bondage tries to grab you and bring you back. That's what an obstacle was. That was the old bondage and slave master trying to grab them and bring them back into bondage, bring them back into slavery. And the temptation when that happens is what? To give up. To turn right back around and get into it. Look at their response for Moses. We're in Exodus 14, by the way. Let me get there with you. So again, they're in a rock and a hard place. You can imagine the fear of the people now. So their fear, their confusion, their frustration over this situation, this obstacle that is coming to drag them back in is to attack Moses. This isn't fair, Moses. Did you bring us out here to die? Is this what God wanted? They start attacking the character of the leader when instead what was upsetting them was their situation. They're in the midst of this situation and they have no choice. They have no idea. They have not yet learned how to totally depend on God. I want you to read Exodus 14.4 with me, though. God created this situation to show them his glory and his strength. 
to those in opposition of his people and also basically to the Israelites themselves. I just kind of paraphrase that a little bit. God created the situation. Now there's a lot of people out there that say, you know, why do bad, why do bad things happen? And they want to blame God for them. But in this situation, God was using this obstacle to show his strength and glory and triumph over the Egyptians, triumph over this bondage, to get rid of it for once and for all in their life. So this is a part of the crisis where you're going, okay, what next? Let's go to stage six. It's learning to keep still. See, they didn't have any choice. They couldn't swim very well, apparently. You know, a million people, is hard to get through the water, apparently. I, I don't know how that worked. I wasn't there. And an impending, dooming army with chariots and, you know, all the accoutrements of war are coming at them. And they're looking at Moses going, what now? Now, remember, Moses was a leader before, but Moses is not the same kind of leader here at this juncture. He's not the leader he was that took matters into his own hands before where he killed the Egyptian when he saw something wrong going on. No. He has had the experience of the journey, of that deeper inward transformation that he had out in the wilderness where he met the Lord and the presence of the Lord and has allowed the presence of the Lord to change him for those 40 years prior to this happening. So I want you to look at Moses' answer here in Exodus 14 and it's verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today will never again, you, I'm sorry, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Amen? How many of us need that word today? Just stand still. Watch and see. I've got this. The Lord has gone, I got this. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to try to control the situation. You don't try to have to make things happen. I know where you're at. I will do it. So despite the fear and the emotions, Moses is now that kind of leader that can say, stand still. Because he had stood still for 40 years letting God's presence in his life and following after that presence. There's something called liminal space. Limina is Latin, and it means threshold. And it's that place of waiting. It's that place of waiting when what is old, you've left, but you don't have anything to replace it with yet. You're in between, one place from the other. And it's in this place that the Lord wants you to sit and wait on him. And you know what's important about this stage? At this stage, you finally learn to get yourself out of the way. 
you finally learn that you have nothing to do but just surrender that situation, that person, that whatever, because you can't do it. And finally, our mind gets out of the way of our heart, and God's working on our heart, and our heart says, okay. And when we say, okay, that's when great things start happening with the Lord. We're going to move on now to stage seven. See, we're jogging along. Are we on time? We're all right. Stage seven, we are on our way. The Egyptians are, have been destroyed. They're at the bottom of the sea. Israelites are now on dry land on the other side. And Moses has them camping, and they are celebrating. They are thankful. They're, they're just, their whole lives have changed. They can finally see that, yes, there is a new way. And I'm on the other side now. I'm not there. I'm here. And there is over there. Our response when the Lord shows up, when the Lord does miracles in our life, when the Lord speaks to us, when the Lord's presence comes, is to respond to him. Because he did, we should respond with obedience. Remember the commandments that are given? Remember in the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount? It was all about righteous living, all about becoming more like Christ, all about inward transformation, not just an outward transformation. And this journey... You're not the only one. Remember, the Israelites, even though they were individuals, even though they were families, even though they were clans, they were tribes, they were a people. And they moved together through every stage. You will have others along the journey with you. So stage eight. You can write in, not done yet. Or the last leg of the journey, if you just, you know. When I was, uh, my husband and I were younger and our kids were younger, you know, you're driving in the car and we'd take that Sunday drive and we're just kind of driving around because we're hoping they'll go to sleep, right? And have, we'd have 30 minutes of peace in the car. But invariably, one would wake up and say, are we there yet? And if they looked out the window, they'd realize we'd just been going in circles. <laughs> are we there yet? You know, three months later, they're again, they're camped at Referetum. And there's this whole idea about, for us as Christians, are we there yet? Have we finally arrived at the place where I don't have pain in my life? Have I finally arrived at the place where I can see heaven? For many of us, we have this concept of an idea that if I get to heaven, everything will be all right because I'm going to have a mansion and there will be streets of gold and, and no more pain and no more tears and all of that's great. But that's not why we're going to heaven. Hello? Now granted, I have a household list of things that need to be fixed in my house. I would love to have a mansion. But I'm not going to heaven 
because of the mansion. I'm going to heaven because I want to be with Jesus. Because I am tied to Jesus. Because my soul clings to Jesus. Because I want to be like Jesus. And that is the journey. So let me ask you this. We're going through these stages. Do you know where you are now? Do you have a sense? Maybe something's going on in your job. Maybe something's going on in your relationships. Do you have a a clue now? Because, see, now you have this vantage point where you can say, I started over there. Maybe with this addiction. Maybe with a broken marriage. Maybe I lost a child. Maybe I... There's a host. There's too many to name. We are all on this journey together. But somewhere, something was wrong. There was a piece missing, a brokenness in our life. And one of our longings wasn't met. Maybe we weren't loved. Maybe we weren't cared for. Maybe we never felt secure. Somewhere, somehow, we started out here. And then every step of the way, God did something. God showed up, and his presence was there. And he got me from there to here. And maybe I got lost. I got lost because I chose to go my own way instead of God's way. I got lost because I didn't listen to the advice of the leader. You know, part of the leader's job is to point us to the reality that's happening in our life and help us face them. But we don't often want to face them. And denial keeps us in bondage. Cognitive dissonance, that awareness of seeing something going on, and, you know, we, we have to have that responsibility. We have to have that responsive action to what we see. But oftentimes we don't, and then we're stuck. And we're in a rut, and we wonder why. But God moves us through each stage until we get to the point where suddenly the light bulb goes on, and we have a vantage point of going, my gosh, look at where I was. I was broken. Nobody loved me. Nobody cared about me. And I was throwing my life away. But now I'm not. Now I know that God loves me, and he cares about me. And it doesn't matter where I've been, he doesn't use that against me. In fact, instead of using it against me, he was there every step of the way. And so now I can look back and take the cues from the leader, and I can look back at where I've been and realize I know where I'm at now. I know where I'm at now. And I can take my cues and keep moving forward. Even if I've never been there before, I now have an idea of where I am in my spiritual journey. What matters now, folks, is Christ meeting us in whatever stage that we're at. Why don't you stand with me? Adam, if you're here. We have Adam. You know, before they could go on with God, they had to get the mindset of slavery out of them.
excuse me, they had to have a mind and heart change. This was about freedom, not just from physical oppression. It was freedom from being slaves, from being in bondage, to being adopted sons and daughters, to having an identity that mattered. They would have to later on battle the ites, if you will, the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the ites, all right? And no matter what stage of the journey, as we go on, we will still have battles of ites, if you will. Attitudes of the heart, attitudes of the mind. Um, Mary talked about humility this morning. It was very good. These are different ites. Battles over our money, battles over power. All of these are ite things that we will still have to battle. But do you know, the promise is, Again, that this isn't just a linear thing he does. It's a process that he walks us through. And this coming around the mountain again that I put in your notes, I had this season where it didn't matter, it seemed like, what I did. I would just clean the kitchen sink and walk back two minutes later and there's dishes piled in it. I would do something at work, turn it in, and the next day, find it back on my desk again, said, oh, by the way, I want you to do this and this and this with it, too. I had this whole season where, like, everything I was doing, I was doing it over and over and over again. I'm like, Lord, what is the point? I think there is a point. You ever heard of muscle memory? You do something over and over and over again until it becomes second nature to you. And then you don't have to think about doing it. It just is your reaction, your response to the situation. We try again so we don't get off track. We try again so that we don't miss anything. We try again so we can bring others along with us. We try again because he's still working to perfect us, to make us more like him. It's that $2 word of sanctification. We do it again until we surrender it to him. That's what going around the mountain is again. It's the fact that he will use all of these stages in different areas of our life until we recognize his presence and until we follow that presence and we learn from those cues about where we are with that particular situation or heart decision in our mind. While we bow our heads, The heart of the spiritual journey is the capacity to recognize and to respond to the presence and activity of God, both personally and in community. I don't know about you, but I want the Lord's presence in every area of my life, and I'm still on that journey to get there. I suspect that Moses' idea of the promised land, you see, he saw it but he didn't get to walk in it. I think Moses' idea of promised land was to be totally infused with the Lord, to be totally in his presence. That, to me, is the idea of heaven, to lose myself in him. 
So, Lord, I just offer up these words to you, Lord, and, and just I pray for the seeds, for good soil that they'd be planted in, Lord. And, Lord, as we ruminate and think about where you have brought us from, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that I am not the same person I was even yesterday, even a year ago, even 10 years ago, Lord God. Just in your heart right now, thank the Lord for where you're at. You can look back and think of the moments, the turning points, the moment that he made you aware that you needed him. And I think for some of you today, God is saying, you need me. I've been knocking on your door. I've been pleading with you. Will you have me? And I think there are people that need to say yes to the Lord today so that you can figure out where you're at, so that the Lord can bring you to a new place, can take you out of the old life and take you out of bondage into a new life. We want to pray with you today. If that's you, we want to pray with you today. And we'll have prayer ministry team up here afterwards. So I'm just going to close in prayer. And if you have children, go ahead and get your children. But the Lord says to you today, I am with you. I love you. And I have never left you. I was there when you started. I was there every moment, every step of the way. And these things, whether they were bad or good, they were meant to turn you to me. They're meant to turn you to me. I've been pursuing you because I love you. And I don't want to leave you that way. So Lord, we just give you our hearts today. We surrender the situations to you, Lord. And we thank you that you make us aware of your presence. Lord, help us to hear you and to follow after your presence. To recognize and meet you every day, Lord, in every situation. Lord, we know you show up. Help us to show up to you. God bless us, and in Jesus' name, said, amen. Again, if you want prayer, if you feel like you're in a stage, or if you need, like I said, that God has made you aware, then 